Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's uh, now Monday, January 5th, 2015. And this, of course, is the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try the new Squarespace, go to squarespace.com, enter the offer code FUN. At checkout, you'll get 10% off that Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere, as is typically the case on Mondays. I'm joined by Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. And I want to start with this. UCLA has lost five straight, three of the five by double digits, by 39 to Kentucky, by 32 to Utah on Sunday. Sam, you live in L.A., so uh, can you explain to me and the rest of the listening audience why everybody is kicking the shit out of UCLA? Well, they have a couple of problems right now. I kind of thought this was going to be the first thing you asked me about before we came on. And first and foremost, the only guy that they can like actually rely upon offensively to create something is Bryce Alford. Like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Well, Alford's not been the problem at all. He's actually been really good this year. But the rest of the team, I mean, Norman Powell didn't really take a big step forward on offense. Kevon Looney's good, but he's still more of a guy that you just tell to go get it on the offensive glass instead of a guy you can give it to on the wing and tell him, hey, go create your shot. Um, and then on the second part of that, they have no depth at all. They're running seven deep now that uh, 1A Bale is uh, done for the year academically. I think that they, they have the freshman, Thomas Welsh, who they're really excited about in the future, but he's also a seven-foot kind of gangly freshman right now who – isn't totally ready to play. And then they have Noah Allen too on the wing. Um, but they don't really have any guards that they can count on for great minutes off the bench. So they're kind of stuck with what they've got and what they've got clearly isn't good enough to be a top 25 team and probably isn't good enough to be a tournament team. It looks like, you know, I was joking about uh, Bryce offered on some level, but I do think it's just fundamentally true. Like uh, a player like him can't, shouldn't ever be the best player at a place like UCLA. I don't even no, know. Yeah, he, totally agree. Yeah. And, and like, so th- that's sort of what I mean. And Matt, I, um, I was talking to a coach, I don't know, a week ago who they had already, this, his team had already played UCLA. And I was like, so what what do you think of UCLA? And, you know, just random conversation. And he said, I cannot believe um, that Steve is running everything through Bryce. He's like, because that's, that's a problem. It's, it's, if, if it's, if it's, if it's Greg McDermott running everything through Doug McDermott, you're fine. Cause Doug McDermott is so clearly your best player and probably the best player in the country and um, whatever. But he just sort of meant this coach said, Anytime you play your kid, your kid better be awesome. He better it better not even be up for debate whether or not he ought to be playing. And on a different level, anytime your kid's going to shoot all the balls, he better be clearly the guy who ought to be shooting all the balls and the guy who is the best player because if he's not and or if your team struggles, it gets really, really ugly in a way that's probably unfair to everybody. And it seems like, Matt, um, right now, that's what's going on at UCLA. It's really, really ugly, and a lot of it's because they're a on a five-game losing streak. But but b um, because they're on a five-game losing streak while the coach's son is shooting all the balls. Yeah, that's not it's not a great combination. The most famous instance of this I can recall has got to be Tubby's son yep. Saul Smith at Kentucky. That guy 
that got brutal. I mean, I remember that being brutal, and we didn't even have social media at that point. But right. It was it was <laughs> not good. Um, I don't think it'll get to that point with Bryce because I think Bryce overall is a better college player. Sure. Um, but I'll I'll say this: uh, Steve has not had. I did. I was when they got when they were getting romped last night. I was curious as to how the offense was looking historically. Um, and this is the. Aside from his Iowa team, he had an Iowa team back in like 05, I think it was. Maybe it was 06. Uh, it was 06 because it was the high seed. They lost in the first round to Northwestern State. That team's defense was amazing, so it made up for its lack of offense. Um, but aside from that team, uh, to this point, this is the worst offense uh, Steve Alford has coached since you know Ken Palm started tracking stuff back in 0102. So... That alone, uh, for a guy that's you know made a few NCAA tournaments and is largely speaking, you know, been a, a guarantee to win at least twenty games per season. Um, it's it's certainly a, a concerning thing right now for UCLA fans. I will say, you know, <laughs> it's a uh, you know, I wasn't huge on the Alfred hire, but I'm by no means saying that. Because they're eight and seven in year number two, and he lost three first round picks. Like this is going to be a disaster, and you know UCLA's got uh, a dark future ahead of it. I I predicted five seasons for Alfred with you know two maybe three NCAA tournament trips. I still think that's the likely path here. Um, it's going to struggle this season. Next season you might have a little more of the same, depending on who stays, who returns, and and who they get. I actually like Looney. Um, He's been in my top five freshman watch all season. He'll probably drop out this week, though. Um, his numbers are just trending a little too too far down, and his team is not getting results. But this is not a team that's going to make the tournament. I, I think at this point, what we see that they've won eight, lost seven, the way that they've lost these games, the Pac-12 isn't great. They're gonna they'll have a, opportunities for a few decent wins, but I just don't think in the end they're gonna have enough. I think they're they're definitely nit bound in the you know four to six seed range even there. You know I, I wasn't a big fan of of the Alfred hire at UCLA either, uh, not because of anything to do with Steve as much as uh, because honestly it got to a point to where like who are you gonna hire? You know like Shaka doesn't want your job, Brad doesn't want your job. Um, who you know who are you gonna remember? Go they didn't want to wait. They didn't want to wait for Greg. At that, that Greg Marshall at that point, they that, they that, went and they hustled and got Steve because Greg was in the middle of a Final Four run. That's where they messed up. To the extent that they messed up, like we might look up in a year and everything's fine, but uh, to the extent that it looks like they might have messed up, um, they didn't want to wait an extra week. Like they reached out to Greg Marshall or Greg Marshall's representatives multiple times, um, and Greg just refused to talk to them. He was in L.A. that yep. that year. Yep, the, I, w- I was there. The regionals were in Los Angeles, yes. Yes, I was there, and um, I, they tried to talk to him while he was there, and he just said, listen, I'm not talking right now, and uh, you know, be happy to talk to you after the season, and there is not a doubt in my mind, had they put together the right financial package, he would have taken that job. Um, for whatever reason, they felt like they couldn't wait, which um, it, it it seems silly to me. Like, what 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 difference does an, another week in April make to a, a late March April make to hiring a college basketball coach? But whatever. Um, my whole thing was like, if you're gonna, I just remember the, I think it was actually the press release when they hired Steve, and you know this was after firing Ben Hallen after a Pac-12 championship, which made Ben. I love this this fact. Um, he's the only 
power conference coach to ever be fired immediately after winning a power conference championship um, unless there was some sort of like off the court issue. There were no off the court issues with Ben, unless you want to just, you know, say bickering with your bosses is an off the court issue. But um, he's the only guy to ever be fired after doing what he did from a power conference without some sort of scandal. And so a, a lot of the arguments were um, didn't win enough in the tournament. Well, let's just say two of the arguments were didn't win enough in the tournament and uh, didn't play an exciting brand of basketball. That was Steve Alford. I mean, like, you just hired the same guy you just hired, <laughs> except, like, Ben was better at those things. Like, and uh, what was funny is that uh, there were actually three things they hit Ben with. One was um, a boring style of basketball when he literally had the fastest tempo in the UCLA, uh, in the Pac-12 in his final season at, um, at UCLA. He didn't recruit when he had literally signed a top-five recruiting class in his last recruiting class, and then didn't win enough, and he just won the Pac-12 title. So it was all like, – if you just wanted to say we're firing the guy because we just want change for the sake of change, like, I, hey, listen, it's your athletic department. Do what you want. But that's what it was. But they tried to rationalize it in some ways that didn't actually make sense, and then they went out and hired somebody who was basically the – you know, the, a poor man's version of the exact same thing. Like, you went – Ben Howland in his final, I don't know, five, six seasons at UCLA, because I remember looking all of this up, played at a faster tempo than Steve Alford did it at, at, at Iowa, New Mexico. And then um, he, he had won more. He had obviously won more in the tournament and all, and all these things. So I was just a little skeptical of it from, from that perspective. And I guess it would be easy to, uh, to now, you know, particularly after this, you know, in the middle of this five-game losing streak that could go to six, I guess, theoretically. Um, and after this blowout loss to Utah, to like sort of you know, pounce on that. But I will say, he lost three basically, you know, first round picks last year. Like you know, uh, right. this if you unless you have a John Calipari like class enrolling, you're probably susceptible to something like this when you lose that kind of talent, aren't you, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. They lost their two best players, definitely, in uh, Jordan Adams and Kyle Anderson. And they lost a kid that they probably expected to be there for two to three years in Zach Levine. And it's really just hard to come back from having to lose that type of talent in flux. And they also lost the Ware twins too, who, you know, for all their warts, they were solid starting caliber NCAA big men, like big college big men. And going back to Kevon Looney, cause I know that Matt said something about him. Uh, he has a true shooting percentage right now of 49%. Like, he's not yeah. a guy who's able to go out and get his own yet. I really like him. I have him, like, in my lottery. I think he's an excellent prospect for the future. But he's he's just not a guy that you want handling the ball and really going to get his. Um, Isaac Hamilton's been okay. He's been a little bit better recently, it seems like, trying to get there. Uh, and, yeah, like, Bryce Alford best player you're in a lot of trouble i think yeah i mean that you know we've had this conversation about michigan you look at some of the you know really blue i don't know if michigan state's blue blood but i mean hell it's a tradition rich program so with a hall of fame coach so but you look at some of these teams like that that are struggling and i think a lot of it is you you look at their roster and you go okay who's the best player Ooh, that might not ought to be the best player at a program like that you know like yeah you know like brandon dawson should he be the best player at michigan state Probably. No. Yeah, right. Well, he is, and that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Offord, should he be the best player at UCLA? No, he is. That's a problem. And I I think a lot of times you can, you, you know, when you try to figure out why 
Um, and I, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but when you try to figure mm-hmm. out why a, a program that's at the level of a UCLA historically or at the level of a Michigan State historically, um, and you try to figure out, okay, why are they struggling? A very simple way to figure it out is, go, okay, who's the best player? Ooh, that guy should probably not be the best player um, uh, yeah. at, at, at a program Yeah, like no, that. and I totally agree with you. Just like, and the, also, the other thing is they have, like I said, UCLA should never have, should never be going six to seven deep. Like you should always have a, high influx of talent at the eight to 10 spots on your roster. You would think if you're UCLA, right? Oh, sure. Right. I mean, and, and again, some of this, you know, it could maybe all get solved with one awesome recruiting class, but, um, mm-hmm. but, but, but right now, I mean, just anytime, you know, sort of in a vacuum when you say UCLA is on a five game losing streak and getting beat by 30 twice in that stretch, that's something that's uh, very un UCLA uh, like let's switch gears. Norlander, Chris Jones was benched. Um, for Louisville's win over Long Beach State. Uh, Rick said it was for the flop. I don't even know if that's true. I, I think it probably had more to do with trying to send some sort of message. And I don't even know that I'm a big believer in message sending, like in that type of way. Like the idea, like coaches will sometimes like, I'm going to take the names off the back of the jerseys to send a message. Like I don't even know what that does. And Or like I'm, the kids were banned from the locker room because they don't deserve to wear – you know, Cincinnati uniforms or whatever. Um, I, I just sort of think these messages can can ring hollow at times, and yet um, these sort of symbolic messages can ring hollow at times. And yet, uh, benching Chris Jones, at least um, in the immediate future, seemed to work well. He had 22 points, 10 assists against Wake Forest last night in uh, Louisville's ACC debut. Um, do you think it worked? Do you think Rick Pitino got through to Chris Jones in some way? maybe i don't know i I like chris jones overall um this takes too many too many shots he shouldn't overall just in general Uh, listen wake actually gave um louisville a pretty decent game um which is a good sign for wake um i i don't think it was actually necessarily a bad thing against louisville it was a road game and wake was certainly up for it jones they're gonna basically if if I can expand the conversation to Louisville and Chris and the ACC, in my opinion, like it's going to be Duke and then everyone else in the ACC this year. I, I don't foresee Duke entering the final week needing to win two games to take the regular season title. So somebody hates Tony Bennett. For, somebody hates Tony Bennett all of a sudden. I don't hate Tony Bennett. Sounds like it. <laughs> but I think I, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Duke. But that said, if we if we want to consider Louisville to be a realistic challenger to Virginia and a team no one's talking about Notre Dame that's 14 and 1 by the way. Uh Chris Jones Let me stop you there for a second. Have you uh have you has anybody figured out uh Grant's dunk yet? What like figured it out? Just just as physically? In, like, yeah, like how did he how did it go? How did it That's a weird looking dunk. It's yeah. I think it, he propelled himself off the guy's chest with his knee. He had to have. Yes. I mean that's yeah. what Pat, it looks like. Yeah, uh Pat Chambers type uh <laughs> Type slam there. No, that was uh, that was the that play was downright freaky. I posted our uh, top photos of the week, and I literally put three of the photos at the top of the post because it was so bizarre and terrific. Um, Jerry and Grant is a, an amazing player and is probably going to be a top twenty pick. Um, For people who haven't seen that dunk, go look at the dunk because it's it's just weird looking. Somebody compared it to. Um, like in Mario Brothers, when you—I was just thinking that. Yeah, like, <laughs> and uh, that is that is that is what it looked like. You know, it's like okay, you're in the air now, jump again. That's uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yep. so crazy. It looked um, like a double. Anyway, continue on the ACC. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Well, you know, in my opinion, Jones is, you know, his defense is not, is not a question. Um, his decision-making very much is, I think he needs to play uh, Robin to Rozier's Batman in the backcourt specifically only. I mean, Montrez is their best player without a doubt. Um, but if Chris is able to just take better shots in better spots, it can be a situation where it's compounded in a really good way where, okay, you didn't take four bad shots in a game that led to maybe two or three runouts that led to four or six points for the other team. Those things can matter in big moments against really good teams that will take advantage of that. So I don't know if a message was truly sent. I don't know what habits certain guys are able to truly shake in the middle of a season, but that is one, in my opinion, if Louisville's hoping to get a three-seater better uh, the reliability of Chris Jones is a, a very important uh, factor in that, and at least it was a good, positive step forward in the in the short term in that uh, tough win at Wake. Since last time we talked, um, uh, basically all of the unde- not basically absolutely all of the undefeated teams other than Kentucky, Duke, and Virginia have uh, have lost. TCU lost at home to West Virginia, who was without Jawan Staten over the weekend, which sort of ended that. Whatever it was. Um, are we sure that Kentucky, Duke, and Virginia are the three best teams? I know, Norlander, you hate Tony Bennett apparently now. But are we sure that the three undefeated teams remaining are the three best teams? Sam, what do you think? Um, I'm not positive by any stretch, but that's definitely how I'd rank them right now. I'd yeah. go Kentucky, Duke, Virginia. Um, Virginia's defense is just so incredibly good. And they got a really good challenge from Miami over the weekend. Uh, they kind of fell apart in the second half a little bit defensively, which is – a shocker just because their uh, perimeter defense is amazing. But Angel Rodriguez did that superhuman Angel Rodriguez thing where he's just unstoppable and he kind of carried Virginia or uh, Miami back into that game. Um, but yeah, right now I would say that. And then I would follow them with Wisconsin, Gonzaga, and Louisville, probably, and Arizona in that second tier at the moment. Norlander, what about uh, you? I'm going to give you Norlander's notable nine. Okay. I'd go oh Kentucky. Duke, this is in order, Kentucky, Duke, Wisconsin 3, Zona 4, Virginia 5, Gonzaga 6, Nova 7, Texas 8, and man, uh, probably, dude, I cannot even believe I am saying this, but I think I would put Maryland 9th. They're 14-1, and and just clearly, clearly looking like the second-best team in the Big Ten, which is something nobody had. No. I mean, it is uh, – Melo Trimble no. has been terrific. Des Wells is, is such a solid player. Um, but it's more than just that. I mean, what's his name? Um, Layman is probably an NBA prospect from what I've been gathering, uh, which is something I didn't even realize, to be honest, at the beginning of the season. But I'm hearing more and more that he is really just developing into a nice – college big man uh Smotrich is getting you know healthy and better I, I just continue to be amazed by Maryland and I, I think I fully believe in this team um well I mean at some point you have to I mean they're, they're, you know it's it's January 5th and only loss is to Virginia only losses to Virginia they've got wins over Iowa State they got um Oklahoma State which is a pretty decent win um you know particularly when it's on the road and by nine points they got a win over Michigan State got a win over uh Minnesota you know anytime I'm which is every day, like, you know, tweet a link to the top 25 and one. You get all oh, these just 99% of the rep- responses are just ridiculous and dumb. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it just like dry, like I just, I, 
I used to like years ago. I would like spend every Sunday night like trying to explain every single thing there. Now I just ignore all of it. Like I just can't get involved. I got I got two jobs, two kids. I can't be arguing with idiots about rankings every single night. But the one that I think is probably a well, I mean, there's listen. A lot of this is subjective. But the the some guy hit me with in a very respectful way. Could you please explain why you have Maryland behind? A, B, and C. And I was like, all right, let me go look at this. And uh, I was like, you know what? You got a point. I probably have Maryland too low. Like uh, like uh, the, the other stuff, what I find funny is that people will always talk about their wins. They never talk about the losses. So like I'll have a, <laughs> I'll have a Kansas fan tweet me and go, hey, Kansas beat Utah. How could you have Kansas behind Utah? I'm like, we, are we not even going to talk about Kansas losing by Temple? To losing to Temple by like a million? Like you just forget about that? Or, you know, yeah. uh, Arizona has beaten blah, blah, blah. We're not going to talk about the UNLV loss? Like you guys never mention the losses. You just, you focus, like the losses don't matter. Iowa State fans were doing this for like three straight weeks. Like the losses just, the loss did not matter to them. They didn't understand why they weren't ranked in the top five because, you know, they're Iowa State and whatever else. And I'm like, you, you did take, like, you lost a game, you know, that, like that, that actually is part of your resume. But the one where I think if people were going to hit me with, um, now the bottom of the top 25 and one, like we could all argue about that. There's about 20 teams that belong in everybody's ballot. And then five, 15 that you could argue for the final five or six spots or whatever. Um, but Maryland, I think I have Maryland lower than Maryland should be relative to the way I typically uh, do things. I, I have a blind spot for them for some reason, but uh, I'm trying to lose it. They're really good. They're good. Uh, so okay, well, real quick, let's since we're talking like you know, ranked teams. In your opinion, if it's not Maryland, and I, I would probably do Maryland ninth, and I probably have Notre Dame as ten right now. But who is the who is the toughest team to figure out for good or for bad that you have ranked right now? Because there. are in my opinion, there are, are a, a good handful of teams where I'm still not like I don't know if it was a weird loss, but like Iowa State losing to South Carolina, like I don't even know what to make of. Like I still think it's a good team. I still think Fred can take this team the second weekend of the tournament. But I thought Iowa State was going to win that game by 15 points, and they fell by four. Granted, it was this random game at the Barclays Center over the weekend. And Frank Martin is, is seeing some, you know, some nice positive steps forward. And we talked about that on a few podcasts back. But um, mm. I know it was it was only their second loss, and actually Iowa State also fell to Maryland. Uh, but their resume is okay, but their defense clearly isn't as good this year as it was last year. To me, that's the that's still a confusing team. What about for you, GP? Um, I... where do you have Baylor? Yeah, I think Baylor is what it is. Like, I don't, I don't really have any issues. Like, I have them 18th. I think that's about probably where they belong. Oklahoma to me is a little confusing, and that that's the one team when when I was talking about the guy and he mentioned Maryland, he was like, "Why is Maryland behind Oklahoma?" And like, I can explain it, but it doesn't make sense right now, given the way I typically do things. You got to understand, like, at one point Oklahoma took a loss to Creighton, and then Creighton had won all of its games like early, and so mm -hmm. I had Creighton ranked. You know, like in the top 15 at one point. Now, that was uh, clearly st it's stupid now, but at the time it made sense. So at the time I'm ranking Oklahoma, the Creighton loss doesn't look like a bad loss. But then the Wisconsin loss, whatever. And then at the time I'm ranking uh, Oklahoma as well, they take a loss to Washington. But Washington was undefeated until like, you know, two Sundays ago. And so it, at one point, Oklahoma's resume kind of featured no really terrible losses. It was a two-point loss at Creighton. Uh, that they, where they blew a big lead, a Wisconsin loss, and then a, a, a two-point loss to Washington on a neutral. 
But now the um, the loss to Creighton looks like a bad loss, and the loss to Washington is probably a bad loss if you're supposed to be a legitimately top, you know, legitimate top fifteen team. And so Oklahoma is the one that that confuses mm. me a little bit because, um, uh, you know, Kim Palm numbers think they're excellent. I really like the roster. Lon is obviously terrific, but they have taken at least two, you know, uh, losses that on January maybe didn't look like crazy losses on December 5th, but on January 5th, they look like losses that you probably shouldn't take. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It does. I, I wonder if, yeah, Creighton's not going to make the tournament, so that's not going to be a great one, although no. it was only a two-point loss on the road. Right. Washington, man, I mean, I could I could see them dropping. Um, they had a nice start, but it's been uh, it's been ugly as of late, and they should have won. I know very few people were watching that game, but I, I did watch it. I mean, they played at Stanford on Sunday night. Dude, they, they, okay, they're getting six points. They are the last call for drunk bets bet. They're <laughs> on- <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, I did not even realize. Nope, neither did I. I never cussed Chase and Randall so bad in my life last night. <laughs> it's this ridiculous, stupid shot. All right? I mean, like, like, for, like, I don't know. Whatever. Okay, just basically, if you're up, First off, if you're up, they were up like 13 early. So you're and you're if you're a six point underdog, you're supposed to cover that. If you're up a bucket with two seconds to go, the only thing that can hurt you is overtime. Shoot a three, we're fine. You know, like miss the shot, we're fine. The only thing that can hurt you is go to overtime and then like what happened happened. And still, it's a six point game. Washington has the ball. They go down and like turn it over because they're idiots. And then and then um, but like turn it over like at half court. So it leads to like an easy dunk layup at the other end to push it to eight. And then they miss a stupid th- like the whole thing was just a disaster. I never I cannot believe I spent my Sunday night staying up watching that disaster. <laughs> so mad at them. I like I really what is, what is, okay, so mad. So, so mad at Washington right now. It's time for us just to briefly discuss this because you at one point were six and oh, and then you were like Eight one and one at, with last call for drunk bets. Get what rich. is what is now the tally? How's the pendulum swung back the other way? Last night um, dropped us to sixteen, seventeen, and three. All right, that's not that's terrible. not bad. Oh, you I, know what? I I honestly think you could take just about anybody, and you'll in, you'll be around three, four, five games around five hundred one way or the other. I mean, yeah. ultimately, like this isn't like um, you know betting money lines or whatever, I mean, or or like. Um, uh, Playing blackjack, or I don't even know what the right proper uh, mm-hmm. uh, co- comparison is. But um, wh- the other thing is that it's you're limiting to- yourself to half the games too. Yeah, I'm living li- like, well, after nine o'clock. Well, how about this? I, I won't do anything that starts before nine p.m. Eastern, which is just um, yeah. I'm just I, like I like, th- I like that though. I like it's that a, it's a challenge like well, that because well, I think if it wasn't, uh-huh. you would be better. Well, it's just it's the whole thing is a gimmick. It's not supposed to be like I'm giving you Gary's best bet. It's merely a what I hope to be a fun gimmick. Now it's it's it was way more fun when we were winning every game as opposed to losing most <laughs> games. Um, but it's just a gimmick. Like um, and so the gimmick is, hey, you, you know, you, you've got uh, degenerate gamblers who are probably drunk, looking for some way to catch up after you know losing on the Cowboys and the Bengals. Here you go. I, I, I you know, GP's got your back. And uh, so yeah, I limit myself to games because it, it by definition needs to be a late night game. And by late night, I mean nothing that starts before 9 p.m. Eastern. So like last night, there was literally only one game that started at 9 p.m. Eastern or later. And it mm-hmm. was it was that one. But either way, I felt good about it. And then like Washington makes me so mad. <laughs> I hate them. Although I do love Robert Upshaw. 
Robert Upshaw. Yeah, Chase good. on Randall made a layup over Robert Upshaw to tie yeah. the game. Like oh. that's incredible. No, the yeah. whole yeah, the whole thing. I was uh like yeah, because that was like that's the difference between being above five and and not only do I cost myself money, I, I feel like I cost other people money, like my friends. You, money. you absolutely do. You're trying to uh, help them, but you're taking the shirt off their back, man. I am now taking the shirts. <laughs> Off of people's uh, backs. It's disappointing. Uh, remember, today's Ion College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online uh, portfolio. Squarespace now is redesigned, um, is now redesigned with Squarespace 7 interface and including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates, and cover pages. And Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts just $8 a month, includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website. So your content will look great on every device every time. So to start your free trial with no credit card required and get to building your website today, um, just go to squarespace.com, use the offer code FUN, and get 10% off to show your support uh, for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. At Squarespace, start here. Go anywhere. All right, let's do some news and notes presented by Squarespace. Uh, let's start with Robert Upshaw because um, one of the, I guess, benefits of staying up last night and losing money, even though I was exhausted after a long, long weekend, was that I did get to see Robert Upshaw. Um, I, I've watched him multiple. That's the other thing about this last call for drunk vets thing. I've watched San Diego State and Washington as much as I've watched anybody <laughs> in the country, and the San Diego, the, like I, because they're just they're on late and they're, I and they're like your Phoenix Mercury, man. They are basically like the Mercury and uh, the Lynx uh, for me in my the Lynx, yes, the Lynx. There love, we go. Love the yeah. Minnesota Lynx. Um, it, it makes so much money off the Phoenix Mercury and Minnesota Lynx, except when they play each other, because then my heart's with the Lynx, but my 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 checkbook is with the uh, the Mercury. It's a it's a dilemma every single time. But um, so I watch San Diego State and Washington like just as much as I watch anybody else because I'm like you know it's part of the gimmick. Um, and I'm so tired of watching San Diego State. That is awful. Like my yeah. God, score the goddamn basketball every once in a while. It drives me crazy. But um, with Washington, I did like okay. So it went poorly in overtime. Uh, but Upshaw's really he's an interesting prospect because he's just you know, he's gigantic and he blocks everything except for Chase and Randall. And, um, and, uh, I know you got on, uh, got into it on, not into it, but you sort of mentioned on Twitter, you're not real sold on him, but and I get that. I understand all the reasons, but he'll, he'll be in the NBA someday, right? Uh, yeah, I think he, I mean, uh, Jeff Eisenberg of Yahoo told me that or people around him, like whoever he knows, like around, Robert Upshaw says that he'll consider leaving after this year if it continues to go well. Um, and that's not really a surprise given that he's moved around. He was at Fresno State in 2012-2013. Then he transferred to Washington. And uh, he had some academic issues, I believe, last year as well. So it's not really a surprise that he would consider leaving after this year. Um, the reason I'm not totally in on him is that I think that if you're going to have a big guy like that, like a Roy Hibbert type, mm -hmm. he better be able to at least do something on offense in the NBA. And I'm not totally convinced that Robert Upshaw has the hands to be able to, you know, catch the ball on the move in the pick and roll or, you know, uh, be able to like just catch the ball on the move and off of cuts and stuff like that. Like they throw him the ball sometimes and it looks like his limbs are still just like a step slow. And I'm not saying he can't like figure that out, but when you take that in conjunction with the idea that he doesn't really move well on the perimeter either, mm -hmm. 
I think it's I think he's gonna have a little bit of trouble finding a spot. I mean, he's still an excellent prospect for the future, and I would have him like in my top forty right now. I'm, like I'm not writing him off by any means, sure. but I think that first round talk is a little bit premature right now, especially whenever we need to see him against the big guys in the PAC 12. Like his, his numbers are a little bit inflated by weaker competition. If you go through and look at the, uh, look at the game log, like most players are at this point in the season. Uh, Matt, uh, Rushy Jordan took a leave of absence. It looks like he's now coming back. So it was a short leave of absence. Um, is, is that why St. John's has dropped two straight or is St. John's just dropped two straight because this was going to happen to St. John's at some point? I think it was going to happen. Uh, I, you know, I still like St. John's. That league is 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 solid. Um, you know, they opened up at Seton Hall, who was you know basically the team of the week. Uh, Seton Hall came is just made an announcement that I, that they are you know for real in that league and are uh, are just on on pace for a really solid seed. So I don't I don't fault St. John's for losing that. Dropping a home to Butler is not inexcusable, um, but you know. I, Having Rashid Jordan is is pretty vital. I mean, he's a solid defensive player, um, fairly reliable with the ball. I know he's not like like the problem with Jordan. Uh, Harrison gets into this. Uh, Phil Green as well. They're not the backcourt is just not what it needs to be from a reliable shooting perspective. It's similar to Louisville and what we talked about with Jones in that way. I, I feel like they they run into some uh, some similar issues. But overall, I think St. John's will be okay. Um, they have an important game. We actually, I mean, now that we're doing this podcast, we've got, you know, this is when conference play really feels like it begins because it's after the new year. Uh, college football is, is all done except for the title game to come, and, and now league play begins. St. John's hosts... Villanova Tuesday night. Nova just took its first loss when it went on the road over the weekend and, and played Seton Hall. Uh, a big spot for St. John's. It's I, I would never qualify a third game into the conference season as a must win. Um, but if if they lose that, they're going to be in a very tough situation to to recover from if they want to finish say top three in the league. Like they're still going to be okay because I think the Big East probably going to send five to the tournament, and St. John's can be one of those teams. But that's just one of the bigger games. We have a few of those, GP, actually. Like, in my opinion, uh, that same night, uh, Minnesota hosts Ohio State. Minnesota's 11-4. and four. They're, They've got a decent chance, I think. But you got to kind of beat Ohio State to, uh, to avoid an 0-3 Big Ten start. I think that's a, a pretty vital game. Um, and te- uh, Texas hosts Oklahoma here tonight uh, on Monday. Both teams are 1-0 in the Big 12. But... You know, if if Oklahoma were, to, were able to pull that out at Texas, I think that would be um, pretty big for them. Uh, I don't think they will. I really like Texas. Uh, there's a couple of good games that, and dude, I, I Notre Dame, Carolina. It, I, I I think Notre Dame's going to win. Um, I, I really love watching them play. They flirted with some disaster over the weekend against Georgia Tech. Uh, then Jerry <laughs> ripped a hole in the universe, and and things are okay, and they're fourteen and one. But uh, yeah, I think Mike Bray is going to go into North Carolina tonight, and I think that they're going to beat the Tar Heels. Yeah, going back to St. John's for a minute, the problem isn't really that they've lost two straight because one is, um, I mean, one's at Seton Hall, which seems reasonable at this point. The other one, you don't want to lose to Butler at home, but whatever. The problem is now you back it, like you said, with a home game against Villanova, and then road game at Providence, probably an underdog there, and then you got to mess around with that Oliver DePaul, uh, Oliver Purnell, 2-0 DePaul right now. 
DePaul, man. DePaul's on top. Don't look at your Big East standings right now. Look who's on top. OP. OP. I think they proved, too, that it's going to be hard to go into any Big East arena and win this year. Big East started 8-0 at home this year. And that included DePaul. Yeah, no, the league has been solid overall. Um, Hey, it's... It's it's interesting. Um, it, it would benefit the Big East if DePaul, Marquette, and Creighton were not tough to play at home because if you can get a little separation there, you're going to have a better case for six teams to reach the tournament. But if you have too much cannibalism, it could whittle that number down to five. We'll see. DePaul, I mean, good on DePaul for starting 2-0. and It's it's the Hall and DePaul at the top of the Big East standings, uh, the only teams without a win uh, without a loss there, and then without a win on the opposite end, it's St. John's and Creighton. Everyone else is one and one. Um, but I'm enjoying the Big East overall. Um, and Kevin Willard needed a huge year. And by the way, they've done this without Isaiah Whitehead, right. a five star prospect in recent weeks. He's yeah. just recovering from uh, a stress fracture. Do I have that right? Correct. That's what. Yeah. And um, I think it's the right foot, but it could be. Yeah. So way, they beat St. John's and Nova without him. Um, and those are huge. They're home wins because now they get, uh, they're at Xavier at Creighton. Uh, can't see Seton Hall starting 4 0 in league play. So if they split that to go 3 and 1, they'll still be in pretty good shape. So, so good on the Pirates who, barring total collapse, are, are going to, uh, to be in the NCAA tournament. This All year. I want is Oliver Purnell to win the Big East. That's it. I don't oh care. My God. I don't care what else happens this college basketball season. Kentucky can win it all, lose every game. Duke can win it all, lose every game, whatever. I, I want Oliver Purnell to win the, the problem. Race. The problem for you is um, DePaul is not going to have a tip at 9 o'clock or later this year, right? I mean, because of where they're at. I mean, they might, I guess. I, what we're getting at is you need, to, you need to basically lay the points with DePaul at some point. I don't know when that would be, though. I, I would think all their games, they might have a late start. but And if they do... You're required, GDP, to to ride with your man OPP. You have a deal. You have a deal. <laughs> Last Friday, uh, significant recruiting development um, for the SEC. Antonio Blakeney committed to LSU. Um, he's the second top 20 prospect, according to 247 Sports, to uh, commit to LSU. The other, of course, probably the top-ranked player in the country. Consens- I don't know if it's a consensus, but uh, certainly ranked in, in multiple places. Number one, Ben Simmons, whose godfather is on staff at LSU, so that's you know the connection there. Either way, uh, so I'm working on – I'm not really working on it. I think it's Dawn, but it's running Tuesday, a big story on the SEC. And um, sort of like what's been wrong with the SEC and then like – how do they fix it? Are they on the verge of fixing it? And there's a lot of things that have been wrong. I, we don't have to get into to, to it today. But uh, I actually went and, and like crunched all the numbers, to the if, if that's even possible to crunch numbers. But um, how about this? NCAA appearances for leagues the past um, three seasons, Big East has 21. Now, I know there's been some league change, membership changes and all that, but still, the Big East has put 21 total teams in the NCAA tournament the past uh, three seasons. Um, Big 10, 19. Big 12, 18. Uh, ACC, 15. Atlantic, 10, 15. Pac-12, 13. SEC, 10. They're like they're seventh, even behind the Atlantic 10. In the past seven years, um, they haven't finished in the – they've only finished in the top four of the Ken Palm League standings. Uh, once in seven years, they've been six or worse in five of the seven years. So there's a lot of like this whole idea that, um, oh, the SEC just has a perception problem. No, it's got a real problem. It's been it's been mediocre at best for 
for a significant amount of time now. Um, but one reason that it, it, it could improve and, and I think will improve is, is the recruiting. Um, right now, if you look at the top 20 players in America, class of 2015, um, five are committed to go to SEC schools. Um, um, nobody, nobody has more than that. Um, I think it's five. It might be actually more than five, but I know this, nobody has more top 20 players committed than the SEC schools right now. And, um, of the top 15 classes in America, again, according to two, four, seven sports, you have Kentucky, obviously Florida, probably obviously, but also Texas A&M, Auburn and LSU, five of the top 15 classes in America belong to SEC schools. Um, nobody else, no other league has more than three. So I'll start with you, Norlander. Do, do you, not just Antonio Blakeney's commitment, but that's sort of a launching point for a, a, a deeper conversation. Do you see things starting, possibly turning around for the SEC in the next three years? Yes, and I think it'll take three years. I love the short term, uh, you know, and Kentucky fans, I'm not slamming your school. The SEC needs to get better, and it will get better, when schools are beating Calipari for players. Blakeney was considering Kentucky, and he chose LSU. I'm fully aware that there were very interesting circumstances regarding his recruitment. I mean, originally he had gone to Louisville. There was some shoe company stuff that people were cynical about, perhaps rightfully so, and he had played on the same AAU team as Ben Simmons, the number one player in the country who recruited him to play at LSU. Those are the facts, whatever. If that The point is, Kentucky lost out on a five-star player to LSU, that is good for the SEC. And LSU is a sleeping giant, in my opinion, of a program. It, it should be so much better than it's been over the past 20 years. Um, you know, it, it, kind of, it, it kind of fluked its way to a Final Four, and that was a good team, but it kind of showed what that program is capable of when things even mildly go the right way. Um, Right now, I mean, here's the, here's the bad thing about the SEC is that right now Florida looks disastrous. Yep. It's seven and six and is mm -hmm. still considered the best challenger to Kentucky in the league. That might be just familiarity with Billy Donovan and respect for Donovan in that program, but I'm not seeing any indication that Florida is a top five SEC team right now. They might turn out to be, but I'm telling you, I've watched six of their games and I'm not liking what I'm seeing. Long term, yes, I like that Bruce Pearl is at Auburn. I think that he can bring it's with Auburn. It's going to take three seasons, but I think that you can have some big dividends there with LSU. GP, you've written about Arkansas in the past year. We're still kind of waiting. This is kind of a year where Arkansas needs to take advantage of the fact that it's Arkansas. It's got some solid talent. It needs to make a move in the SEC. If they can't make the sense. tournament with this team in this league, just quit. Just quit basketball. I, I seriously, this has got this is, has. To, they're eleven and two right now. This has to be a season that Arkansas is clearly a top three team in this league and makes the tournament. If they don't, I, I think they should really consider a coaching change and just overall take a step back at their program and and, and look at what's happening because you have to do it in a year like this. What? Um, but overall, no. I think better things are coming from it. I, I ultimately don't know if the SEC can ever be a top three league for like a four or five year stretch because it cares. It, I almost feel like it cares so much about football that institutionally and regionally, when you put so much passion, money, and effort into one thing, it's so hard to be good in another thing. It's why... There are so few schools that can truly say that they're they excel in both. Florida and Texas are two of them, 
but beyond those two, Ohio State is another. Ohio State, Michigan yeah. State is another. Like I, I, I'm glad you yeah, said but, that. Yeah, and Michigan State, by the way, Michigan State fans they consider themselves a football school, um, but they are more known for basketball, which is kind of crazy. But it's it's so limited. So yes, the SEC is I think is is on uh, the uptick, but. If we project it out to the next 15 years, I still think that consistently it would not be a top three league. I'm glad you said all this because I, I addressed a lot of this in the column um, it, because I, I do think what you just said is is a, a pretty common opinion that the SEC cares so much about football and that it doesn't care uh, enough about basketball. How about this? I went and looked up the basket, men's basketball budgets. Guess how many SEC schools have top 40 men's basketball budgets top 40 in the country all right that's an interesting question uh, because i almost feel like it's a loaded one i will say i don't know what the answer is here i don't know where you're going with it but how many in the top 40 Mm -hmm. i'll say 10 are in the top 40 because they have football money that allocates it to allow them to have high budgets is that the way you're going with it's nine it's not nine in the top 40 okay um and I, i i i need to double check this i don't believe any other league has nine in the top 40 yeah, they 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 genuinely spend more money on men's basketball, SEC the these these nine SEC schools, than than um than 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 any you know, relatively speaking they 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 are, they're they are financially invested in basketball and and so um I, I think it's interesting conversation about um do fans care. Like, do, do SEC basketball fans care as much as ACC basketball fans or Big Ten basketball fans? I, th- I think that's probably um, a perfectly reasonable question. But, if the way, but, but I think there's a difference between fans caring and the schools actually caring. And, and by caring, I mean doing the things necessary to try to, to, be, to, to, to be great in this particular sport. And the, the most necessary thing is to invest in the sport. You know, and we've talked at length over the past year about how Nebraska decided to invest in its sport. And it's not enough to just throw money at it. That, that you, you have to throw money at it, but you have to hire the right guy. And despite what we've seen this year, I think everybody recognizes that Nebraska threw money at it and then hired the right guy. But I, I sort of just re- reject with, with data the idea that the SEC doesn't care about men's basketball because all the data suggests that they actually do. I think what's probably more true is that they've invested the money in enough of the schools to be great, but they've still got some wrong. It's getting better, but they still got some wrong coaches in the wrong jobs. You got to, you know, you got to do what Auburn has done. You've got to go. You got to throw the money at it, new facilities, and then go hire the right guy. And um, I think when when you do that, that's when you're great. But I, I don't think there's anything in terms of of finances or you know money budget stuff. There's nothing there that's holding the the SEC back. What do you make of all this, Sam? Um, yeah, I totally agree with you as far as making sure you get the right guys in the right places. And I think that the SEC is starting to do that. Like you, you have Frank Martin at South Carolina right. and starting to turn that program around. You have I still believe in Mike Anderson at Arkansas. Um, I do you, too. Yeah, he still has the pedigree there uh, at the university. He's done a pretty good job recruiting and getting Bobby Portis, who was a five-star guy. Um, I, the guy I'm still not totally sold on is Johnny Jones, just because his product on the 
on the actual floor hasn't been great so far, given the guys he's brought in. But, I mean, you can't argue with getting two of the top 20 guys, including the best player in the country, in next year's recruiting class. Plus, you have guys like Billy Kennedy, who looks pretty good, and Bruce Pearl, who uh, just looks like he's going to totally revitalize that program. So, yeah, I think that's the key, just continuing to get the right coaches in the right places. Once you do that, you're going to start to see the recruiting uptick, and then from there, the programs are going to uptick. Yeah, I I think that'll be the major takeaway from the story, um, is that, uh, people who say because you run into this a little bit with uh, with the SEC coaches, they they will all focus on oh, so our league sucks. We had three teams in the Sweet Sixteen last year, two of them in the Final Four. How can you say that sucked? Because it does suck. Because you have Kentucky and Florida, Thank like you. they're right. two yeah. of the top ten programs in the country. So what I found interesting is that that is typically. Although I talked to John Calipari about it, he didn't he didn't go that route at all. He said, "Listen, we got to get better, but there's no reason we can't." It, you know, in the Atlanta when I was he, he said when I was at and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. This is basically what he said. You know, when I was at UMass, I used to have to beg the other Atlantic 10 schools, like, hey, put money in your basketball program. We're not coming back to you. So you try to catch up with us. And same thing when he was at Memphis. Like, te- you know, other Conference USA schools would be like, oh, it's, you know, Memphis is, no, Memphis is investing. You spend money and maybe you can be the next Memphis. And so um, he said, but that's not the case in the SEC. Everybody's spending money. Every Not everybody. Like, you go look at, um, you know, Ole Miss's budget's not the same as Kentucky's budget, but for the most, you know, the majority of the schools are significantly invested um, in the SEC, and so I think the major—I mean, in men's basketball—and so I think the major takeaways will be, um, yes, it has been very mediocre in recent years, but there are a lot of tangible signs that suggest it's on the verge of getting better. One are, are where the budgets are at now. Two uh, is where you know the coaches that they have in place now. And three is that, you know, recruiting seems to be getting better. Like, you know, if you go look at, you know, you don't have to, you know, really all you got to do is have a 247 sports subscription. You can go look at the rankings. The uh, recruiting is undeniably uh, getting better. So it'll be interesting if you guys are around the Internet tomorrow. I mean, not you guys, but people listening. Uh, make sure to check that out. Okay, well, I think we've been going for like 50 minutes here. So let's wrap this up. Uh, thank you, Matt and Sam, for being here. Thanks to all you guys. For listening, and remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest uh, episode, so make sure to do that. And uh, either way, uh, we'll talk again real soon. Till then, take care.